0: Welcome back to another episode of the The Bank Shop Podcast. I'm Andrew. I'm Kale. And this new NBA NFL analyst member, I guess we'll call him. I don't know what to do. Uh, Introduce yourself.
1: Uh, What's up, y'all? I'm honored to be here. My name's uh, Devontae.
0: Okay, um... Good introduction. Now we move, on. <laughs> Good start. we move on to our NBA slate. So a lot has happened since we last talked about the NBA. We had a prime matchup between the Warriors and the Suns. A bunch of other games have happened. But I want to start with the team that a lot of people care very much about. Me, personally, I'm a fan of them. The Brooklyn Nets, they have severely struggled uh, 500. They are the one seed in the East, but it's mostly because they beat up at teams. They just beat the Knicks last night, who are technically above 500, but does anyone really consider them a contender? No. Uh, I'll start with Kale. What are your thoughts on the Nets and their struggles so far?
2: Yeah, so if you look at every like real contender that the Nets have played, they've played the Bucks, they got blown out. They've played the Warriors, they got blown out. <clears throat> They played the Suns. They got blown out. Uh, it's, it's a pretty concerning uh, trajectory for the Nets. Like you said, they are the first seed in the East, but they're also under five hundred versus teams who are above five hundred at the time they played, which is not a good stat. So it's pretty much you're just so far there've been a really good schedule. If you're keeping completely honest, the Nets team is built for. Katie Harden and Kyrie and the fact that Kyrie is obviously not going to be there is showing up horrendously James Harden can't seem to pick and choose when he should score and when he should facilitate and that's not even my own take that came out of the man's own mouth and that's when you had Kyrie Kyrie was there to score and James Harden was there to facilitate and now without Kyrie obviously it's just such an awkward fit now the Nets don't seem to be working like they should and If the playoffs were tomorrow, I would not take the the Nets very seriously. Um, They just – they keep struggling versus real contending teams. Devontae, what are your thoughts on the Nets? All right, so,
1: excuse my English, but I'm just saying the Brooklyn Nets are some Mickey (laughs) Mouse-ass (laughs) niggas. I mean – yeah. They they beat up on the... I'll give them credit. They beat up on the teams that they're supposed to beat. But the second they become underdogs, they fucking collapse. I I haven't seen enough from James Harden. Like, we know what he's capable of. We know he can be the best player in any game he's put in. We've seen him be the best player against the Super Team Warriors. The best player against LeBron even games against Giannis he just i don't know it's just, the new the new rule changes really like it's really messing with him and like uh my brother Kale said he's um the man doesn't know what to do it's like he's forgotten to play basketball and it's just confusing cuz you pay this man all this money I'm, he's up for an extension right Yeah, this is the last year on his deal. Yeah, this is a man who's about to get a supermax. You're hoping he can be one of the main guys on a finals team that can hopefully get a ring, but he's struggling to make decisions to win games down the line. And that's just ridiculous from a man that's winning MVP. Almost should have, in my opinion, should have been two MVPs it's just baffling.
2: And, and Andrew, you're you're the Nets fan here. What are your thoughts on your own team? Like, okay,
0: um, so <laughs> there's, I think there's several parts of the Nets w- w- which you have to talk about when you're talking about them. The disappointing end by far this year, like we were just talking about, has been James Harden. He's below sixty percent true shooting percentage for the first time in his career since twenty fifteen, I believe which true shooting percentage is like a stat made for him. So him being below 60% is kind of alarming. It's barely. He's at like 59.9%, but he's been less efficient this year. He loves to play make, and he has been a good playmaker, but the issue when he just playmakes and plays like Russell Westbrook almost uh, is when KD has an off game and James Harden, the playmaker, is playing and not the scorer, the Nets are going to get blown out. You saw it against the Warriors. KD went 6 for 19, which doesn't happen very much, but it's bound to happen. It happens to everyone, and the Nets got blown out. Shocker. KD shoots poorly versus Suns. Not super poorly, but below 50%. Um, and he has 40 points, but don't get me wrong. <laughs> he Still, he wasn't, like, uh, perfect from the field. They get blown out in that game. Um, even versus the Knicks, the Nets struggled, and KD really, really struggled. I mean, KD was really bad in this game. I, I think anyone that watched it realizes that. They won. Because Harden decided to be aggressive. And it's the day after he came out and said the quote that Caleb was talking about before, that he doesn't know what he's doing right now. It's hard with Kyrie Irving not on the team. You expect him to be there, so you prep all offseason, and then he's not there. What do you do? So I think it's alarming on the James Harden spectrum. Hopefully, the Knicks game is a precursor for what's to come for James Harden. Uh, because he was phenomenal in that game. In the second half, he really didn't shoot. I think he took all of four shots from the field, but he had 34 points, 10 rebounds, uh, and he facilitated well. I mean, he turned the ball over, but it's what it's, you're, James Harden, is what you're going to get even when he's at his best. Uh, so hopefully that is a sign for what's to come. So there is concern coming from, obviously, the James Harden end and not having Kyrie. But I think there is a positive, and like we said, they are fifteen and six. Um, and a large part of that is because of their supporting cast. About it, because the fits were kind of weird with each other. I mean, they signed James Johnson this free agency, DeAndre Bembry. Uh, they traded away Landry Shamit this offseason. season. It was a whole, basically a whole new supporting cast. Lamarcus Alders comes back from his heart problem, and the. Key signing this offseason was Patty Mills. Aldridge. Both of those two are huge. Patty Mills this year for the Nets, he's been one of the best three-point shooters in all the NBA, shooting 48% from three. It's been great. He's had to start because Joe Harris got hurt, and that's been huge that he's been able to shoot such a high clip from three because we all know what Joe Harris is capable of doing in the regular season at least. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge this year is shooting 58% from mid range, which is a top three in the league. It might it doesn't lead, but it's top three, top five. He's been knocked down from mid-range. He's played relatively good defense for how horrendously slow he is. I mean, he's still never going to be a great defender when he's this old and this, you know, unagile. But he's been really good for them. And DeAndre Bembry is another one that I don't think people realize. Uh, he's He, again, has had to start because Blake Griffin got taken out of the rotation because he's been so bad. Bruce Brown is hurt. Joe Harris is hurt. And DeAndre Bembry has had to step up. And DeAndre Bembry is shooting over 60% true shooting this year for the Nets. And he's been by far their best defender in their starting lineup. So there are positives that come from the Nets. But I think, like you guys said, it's definitely concerning that every title favorite they've played is blowing them out. There was a point in. I, I don't. They do get blown out by these teams. so There's no way around that. I, do I think that they improve on this? Yeah. I think that the chemistry between, like, or not even just the chemistry, but James Harden figuring out what he's doing, I think that he will figure it out. But that might just be the hopeful Net, or Nets fan side of me. But honestly, I do think that a player of his caliber will figure it out eventually. I think that he's been playing basketball so long and he's smart enough to figure out what he has to do to win.
2: But do you think that the Nets, like, seriously can win the NBA Finals Like, as of today? That's what I really want to know.
0: Um, do I think they could? Yeah. Do I think that they'd be the favorite? No, definitely not. But I I think they're still a contender, yeah. I do. I think that they're not on the same level as the Warriors or the Suns. I think those two teams are on a different level than everyone else in the NBA, honestly. But I think that they're still in that tier of or in that tier of contenders, yeah. All right. Um on the topic of Warriors vs. Suns, we'll transition into this since I just brought them up. The two best teams in the NBA, record-wise, played each other yesterday. The Warriors were 18 and 2, the Suns were 17 and 3. And this was a game that was hyped up a lot, rightfully so. I honestly did not watch the whole thing. I watched the first half and then fell asleep. But I'll start with <laughs> Devontae here. Uh, what are your thoughts on this game, since you're the Warriors fan? What are your biggest takeaways from it for either team? Well, I want to give the Suns credit, but I'm going to
1: take it all back. Because <laughs> let me explain something. This was, if I'm correct, around a six-point game, mm-hmm. I want to say. This was a six-point game. but Keep in mind, Booker Booker was injured. But the Warriors' two best players were completely dog shit. And it was a six-point game. I think the, war- the Warriors can leave this, not with their head high, but have a great foundation to build upon with, with this loss. Because you know Curry's not going to do that back-to-back ninth. Yeah, You might prove me wrong, but he's historically like amazing off the worst teams of his career for for some reason. Because all greats are like that, but what I'm saying is the fact that you almost won with your best player shooting four for twenty-one, he should he, he could have had like eight turnovers, but his teammates saved his ass a lot. And Wiggins, I don't know what Wiggins was doing. I think he shot twenty percent, I wanna say. And they almost won. Like I don't know. The Warriors are just showing that their style of play You're going to win games if you double Curry. (laughs) Because I forgot what the stat was, but Curry missed 8 to 10 wide open shots. If you do that any other
2: game of the season, you are losing by 20 points. Yeah, that's not wrong. Um. Yeah, the the issue I have though with the Warriors is I really do not see how in a seven game series they beat a team with an elite big man. Cuz Deandre Ayton is not necessarily an elite big man, but he I get to understand the Warriors are historically a small ball team and they make it work, clearly with you know Draymond Green at center, but nowadays I just really don't see how that's going to work if you play uh the Suns in the Western Conference Finals or you have to play the Bucks in the NBA Finals I just I, I can't cuz Deandre Ayton as a pick and roll man even as a rim protector which you know he's not really the greatest rim protector but he was able to rim protect at a very high level versus the Warriors I just the this, how small the small ball is scares me it, it's almost reminiscent of uh what year was it 20, 20 the bubble rockets yeah it's on this one yeah, 2020, the bubble rockets with PJ Tucker at center. Now Draymond Green's a lot better than PJ Tucker. Don't get me wrong, but I just really don't trust the Warriors versus an elite team, or excuse me, a team with an elite big man come playoff time. And I think DeAndre Ayton really exposed that last night.
1: Yeah, I, I think all of this depends on the development of James Wiley. because they got they got a seven foot two big who's mobile. And they're really banking on the fact that he can guard your, the guys like Aiden, um, even Jokic, um, if he gets that far enough into the playoffs. It's just – that's a lot on the shoulders of a 20-year-old.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. The, I do love what the Warriors have going for them. You know, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson. The, the players they have on the wings and the backcourts is so beautifully constructed, but there's just like a black hole at the center position. And with how talented big men are getting in the NBA these days, it's just super concerning. Like,
0: I agree, uh, but uh, the thing. I want to talk about how you brought up that they have you love what they have going with Jordan Poole, Steve Kerr does too. He had the quote, he had a really good quote about actually the benefit of sucking for so many years is that your good players or your players with potential can develop they weren't rushed into anything. Which is true Jordan Poole's become a great player. They have good depth. The thing that the Warriors, there's going to be centers this year at the trade deadline that are going to be tradable for. I think the name gets brought up every single year and it will continue to get brought up every single year as long as he's stuck in Indiana. Carl. Oh. M- Miles, Indiana. Turner, Miles, Miles Turner. Miles Turner, yeah. is uh he, he the Pacers are really really not good. I don't understand what they've been doing. I think everyone has been on the same page where the Pacers are just content with being okay, but this year they're much worse than okay. They're 9 and 15 and Miles Turner you're only going to get so much more out of him. I don't see why they wouldn't trade him. And if Miles Turner is on the block, I think that the Warriors should make serious a serious push for him because you don't know what James is going to give you. I understand. And they're not going to trade James Wiseman for Miles Turner. That would be stupid. Their his value is so much greater than that. But they have so many assets on their team that they can afford to give up for a player like Miles Turner. And if the Warriors were to have a, team, a starting lineup of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, because remember, he's coming back. Andrew Wingens, Draymond Green, and Miles Turner. I don't see a single team beating that in the NBA, honestly. They have every single base covered. The spacing in that lineup is ridiculous. Draymond is really the only one that can't shoot consistently for three. <laughs> but the, the, the Warriors, as they are as now, are a contender. And I think they're one of the favorites. But if they make that move, I just don't see how anyone could pick against them winning the championship but again that is completely dependent on whether yeah. Miles Turner and the Indiana Pacers would or the Indiana Pacers would trade Miles Turner. I want to talk about the Suns a little bit because I feel like we haven't talked about them enough and they're the ones that actually won this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Suns I I feel like this offseason I was one of them. I'll be honest. I was one of these people. People were down on the Suns after this offseason, like they had just made the NBA Finals, and granted, it took some help, a lot of help. You know, Kawhi went down. The Lakers had their whole Anthony Davis, whatever thing happen in the playoffs, as it feels like happens every year. But this this offseason, people were convinced the Sun. I had talked about the finals matchups with a ton of people, and I didn't talk to too many people with the Suns in the finals. But have they proved us wrong? Chris Paul has been. Just, I, I, he's been Chris Paul. I mean, 15, 10 assists, two steals per game. He's leading the team again. Devin Booker has consistently been really, really good this year. 23 points per game. DeAndre Ayton, despite not getting his extension, has proved that he probably should have gotten the extension. He's not quite elite, but, I mean, 16, 12. He plays good defense. The Suns are mm, a I don't know about that. A, a, it depends <laughs> yeah. on the night. Some He's inconsistent on the defensive end. But... The Suns are – I mean, at this point, I don't know how – What do you guys think the Suns are the best team in the NBA right now?
2: No, I don't. No, no, um, no. I think <laughs> – nah. well, I think if you look at the Suns, the Suns kept relatively the same team, which is obviously great when you just went to the NBA Finals. But if you look at that with even more context on who they played in the NBA Finals, which was obviously the Bucks, they the Bucks got better as a team. Um, and so – if you think logically, that means the Bucks are probably still better. Uh, they the Suns did nothing to get better at stopping Giannis, which was their 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 crux in the NBA Finals, and it's going to happen again. DeAndre Ayton is still not going to be able to guard Giannis one on one. The Suns still don't have pieces to build a wall, like everyone was saying they should. Uh, I don't think the Suns are the best team in the NBA, but. I don't, I don't want to hark on the Suns too much. Um, we, we actually have a group chat, all three of us, uh, and we picked the, this Suns-Warriors game, and I was the only person who picked the Suns. Uh, I just want to throw that in there for a minute. But, um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think the Suns right now are probably the best team in the West, but I still think the Bucs, until proven otherwise, are the best team in the NBA.
0: I think when you're talking about the Suns not making any moves to get better, I think that the, when you look at a roster's construction and you say that, you have to look at the ages of players because their core, Cam Johnson, he's young. I mean, he's old old a player for how many years he's been in the league, but he's still young. He's still improving. Mikael Bridges is still young. He's still getting better every year he plays, and he is supposed to be the defensive juggernaut for this team. So his improvement is critical. And you have DeAndre Ayton, who is also getting better, and Devin Booker, who still feels like he's been in the league a 1,000 years and he's getting better. I think that's a key part when you're looking at the Suns because they didn't make a ton of roster changes, but those players getting older and maturing, I think, is very important when you're talking about an improvement of a team from year to year.
2: Yeah, that, but the thing is, though, like I said, they, the players are obviously going to get better, but everyone you named is a wing is a smaller wing or a guard. The Suns didn't do anything to uh, get better as in stopping Giannis. Uh, and that is the one thing. They didn't need their backcourt to be better. They didn't need their wings to be better. The offense was fine in the NBA Finals. The one thing they could not do was stop Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they still cannot do that. And that's why I still think the Bucks are the best team in the, in the league still.
0: Uh, Devontae, if you wanted to say anything about this before yeah. we move on from it. Speaking of Giannis, he just hit a
1: game winner. Yeah, he just hit a game winner as we're talking. Um, As of right now, I do believe the Suns are the best team in the league, but there's a reason for that. Like you guys said, they made no updates on the roster. It's the start of the season. Rosters are still gelling. Guys are learning how to play with each other. I think the Suns just have a combination of good coaching, amazing chemistry, um, in the easy schedule. They're taking advantage of every team they've played. They haven't let they haven't been have they been upset? I don't think so. They've Not in the one of the first four games, but every game they should win, they win. And it's that simple. They just do what they gotta do.
0: Uh yeah, I think that's fair. Uh both these teams will obviously be monitoring very close to the season. They're both 18 and 3 now. And it's kind of insane, 18-30 start. Uh, maybe this should be made. I don't know. But the next game I want to talk, or not even the next game, the next team I want to talk about, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They are 11-11 this year, which is good enough for the ninth seed. This would be the playoffs right now. The West is in a weird spot. But 11-11, oh, maybe, I don't know. That's much better than people thought that they were going to be. And a lot of their players have shown out this year. Carl Anthony Towns is back. He's healthy. He's been great this year. Anthony Edwards has continued to improve. There were questions about him coming out in the draft because he made a stupid quote, whatever. He's I clearly was worth the first overall pick. He's getting better. He's averaging 22 points per game this year in just a second year. The Minnesota Timberwolves, Devontae, do you think that there is a path to them in the play-in, to the playoffs, or... Just what do you think of them as a whole this year?
1: Well, I, I definitely have them as one of the playing teams because you can see they, Damian Willard is playing injured, the Nuggets, MPJ will be out the entire season, and I don't really know. I know Jokic is capable, but I don't know if his teammates are capable of carrying for the entire rest of the season. The Kings, they're the Kings, not much to be said. The Spurs, um, I can see them making a push for the playing, but. The only other team really competing with the Timberwolves for the playing are the Pelicans, and that's if Zion's fat ass ever comes back, <laughs> which, which I don't think he will for like another month. But I think the Timberwolves they're they're in an amazing position. They have a new owner. Um, they're they're selling out games for like the first time in years, which I think is incredible. In a city like a uh, Minnesota, you see the fans are into it. Everyone's into it. The did you say a city are... like Minnesota? We don't talk. A city like, what did they play?
2: Minneapolis? Minneapolis?
1: <laughs> Minnesota yeah, is city in like, play.
2: cut that, cut that. <laughs> <City> <laughs> like um, you know, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. Um,
1: but, uh, they're going. big, they're three headed monsters. Just incredible. Any night, duo, cat. Anthony Edwards, they can literally just drop 50 on your best player. It doesn't matter if they're amazing at defense. And the fact that you have a big man who's who can literally score at will, a shooting guard and a point guard, like, that's just spacing everywhere. And what's it called? I think they've won, like, five games.
2: Oh, like, no, I think they went on, like, an even – I think it was, like, eight games or something. No, I think it was no, really no.
1: Let play. me finish. They've won, like, five games – where players not named Cat, Dilo, and Anthony scored less than fifteen points. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I think they come they combined for like eighty mm-hmm. a few weeks
0: ago, a few games ago, which is just insane. Yeah, even just averages, they're averaging almost seventy points a game together.
2: And it was like the early season, the when they were starting to win games, um, it was off their defense, and we were like, the Timberwolves are supposed to have the worst defense in the league, damn near. <laughs> And they're winning games by the defense. And now the defense has stayed relatively the same and now they're also winning games off their offense. So I think like, yeah, this is definitely a play in team. I've I've been wanting to see Carl Lindy Towns succeed for so long. Um we've we've been fans on him on the podcast of so our, our number one TikTok is actually Andrew <laughs> saying he's one of the most offensively talented centers ever. And like that was not received well on TikTok, but I don't know <laughs> why, because I think that's a pretty solid Wait, tip. who said he wasn't? Uh, a lot and of the people. Comments were like, "What about Kareem? And what about? Uh, what about
1: Shaq, he can run and dunk.
2: Yeah, what about Shaq? <laughs> and what about um Wilt? And what about Giannis? I'm like, how does anyone a center? But, <laughs> uh, I digress. Um, I don't, I don't think this is like just a play-in team. I think this is a dangerous play-in team, especially if it's like the the the, the um uh what of things the Mavericks." If if the Mavericks are like the Grizzlies get caught playing the Timberwolves in the play-ins, I think they could actually get knocked out, and the and the Timberwolves make the legitimate playoffs. I legit. I... Now you can go. <laughs> I
0: I could see it. I really do like the Timberwolves, and I'm always like we already talked about. I, we love Cat on the podcast, so we always root for him. But I, D'Angelo Russell is forever one of my favorite players in the NBA, just because of what he did for the Nets, and to see him healthy. I remember the first year, like, when he first went there, got traded there to the Warriors. Obviously, in hindsight, that trade, you know, not... <laughs> it's good for both sides at this point. D'Angelo Russell had been hurt. Carl Anthony Towns had been hurt. They'd never played together. And they went... I believe the stat was they went 4-0 and o together in the first, like, year he was there, but it was impossible because they never played together. And then people were calling for D'Angelo Russell to get traded. People wanted Carl Anthony Towns to get traded, me being one of them. And the Timberwolves, I credit their their front office for not trading either one of them and sticking with their plan. It, it's worked. It's very fun to see this duo and like Devontae and Kale teston The they're also they're winning games with their offense, but they're also winning games with their defense, which is so weird. With D'Angelo Russell as your starting point guard and Carl Anthony Towns your starting center, Carl Anthony Towns has definitely improved as a defender. He's still never going to be a defensive juggernaut, but he's definitely improved as a defender and just overall this this. Tw- Minnesota Timberwolves team is so much fun and I do really hope that they they make the playoffs because I think that it would be fun to see Carl Henry Townsend in his second playoff ever, first one without Jimmy Butler. I know that's a huge storyline. Just this, it's, It's refreshing to see Minnesota finally out from this horrible, horrible place they've been in, especially after they just had a top pick last year and they had to give it up to the Warriors. It looked like there was no future in sight, but it is really nice to see a team like the Timberwolves be good again. All right. I believe tail mentioned like no one wants to see
1: the Timberwolves looking at the standings. There's real. I'm only confident that they wouldn't beat the Suns and warriors in the playoff series, but anything else, I think it's fair game. Like The Mavs, Grizzlies, Clippers, Lakers, Blazers. None of them want to see the Timberwolves.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I really don't think they want to see the Timberwolves at all. I think when you have that much offensive uh, firepower, um, no one wants to see you, especially the Lakers, because I hate to keep harping on how old the Lakers are. But if you look at how young the Timberwolves are and how old the Lakers are, I really don't think the Lakers want to get into a long winded series with them.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that Anthony Davis uh, could have some trouble with Carlin the Towns during an entire season or in, during an entire series, honestly. And I think that would be a very fun game or series to watch because you would have the one of the oldest players in the league in LeBron James versus a- or Anthony Edwards one of the youngest players in the league and I think that would honestly be a very very fun series to watch but uh moving on from the Timberwolves lo- that was a good uh good talk love the Timberwolves we are Timberwolves fans here on the Benchtop <laughs> podcast <laughs> we will stay in the west for one more topic here Nikola Jokic missed a lot of time due to injury, suspension, whatever. Jokic has been a mess. But when he's been on the court this year, he has been one of the best players, arguably a top three player in the NBA when he's been on the court. I know our special guest, Blake, a few episodes ago would have loved to say that he's the best player in the NBA, but we're not going to go there. Um, His first game back was versus the Heat versus Bam Adebayo. We'll start off on the Jokic side and then we'll move to Bam after. But the Nuggets beat the Heat 120 11 And her uh, – there we go. Nicole Jokic in this game, 24 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists in 33 minutes. He is continuing his MVP play from last year. Kale, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on Nikola Jokic? Do you see him continuing this and getting his name in the MVP contention yet again?
2: Oh Well, yeah, this is kind of just the baseline for Jokic, which is obviously really impressive. And what he's doing is special in the context of basketball as a whole, but it's really not special for Nikola Jokic. This is kind of just what he does. He he is a double-double, triple-double machine. I mean, he gets a lot of assists, gets a lot of rebounds. Uh, well, not necessarily a lot of rebounds. But double-digit rebounds, and is a good three-level score. Some of the best we've ever seen from the center position. Do I think he can be an MVP? Uh, It really just depends on how the media treats his narrative because, you know, whenever we talk about awards, I obviously bring up from the media side a lot, but what people don't realize is that is like 90% of the the work there when it comes to these awards. Voter fatigue is real. Um, and Jokic, I don't necessarily know if Jokic is a player who could overcome that. Um, you, you, you kind of got to be like a, a certain type of personality, which kind of sucks to say for these players, but it's true. And I really don't know if Jokic has that. And to, um, the Nuggets are also going to need to win a lot of games. So I'll try and say, um, which is going to be hard. Obviously you do have Nikola Jokic, an MVP caliber player and the defending MVP, but, Michael Porter Jr. is out uh is it still indefinitely or is it for the entire season now?
0: For indefinitely season. for now. I think it's or probably sure? out for the it,
2: I don't know if they announced it's out for, the season, assume, it out for the season.
0: We're going to assume that he is out for the season because yeah, of the he's issue he struggled season. with before. Jamal
2: Murray is still out for a while. The, the Nuggets team just isn't necessarily good outside of Nikola Jokic. And I don't think they're gonna be a um uh, a top five or so seed and Nikola Jokic doesn't have a Curry type influence on the media to where they'll they'll honor him as an MVP candidate, even with uh, a below average record. And it's going to be hard, especially because look, we I said it uh, last time we talked about MVPs. It's Curry, Giannis, and KD. That's pretty much, and all three of those teams—the Warriors, the Bucks, and the Suns—are going to have really good records. At least I hope so with the Nets, but um. It's going to be hard to beat those three guys who are media juggernauts and are putting up crazy stats in their own regards while they also have much better records than you. So I don't really think he is a legitimate, legitimate MVP candidate this year.
0: Devonta, do you have anything to add to that?
2: I – as much
1: as I hate Jokic, I honestly think he's the best player in the league right now. Wow, what?
2: (laughs) You think he's the best player in the league? In the entire league. How? <laughs> Please elaborate for me.
1: I don't. I don't like watching Jokic play, but I have. I've watched every game he's played in, and it's. It's just crazy. the The way he affects everything on both offense and defense. I don't know where the hell he got it from, but he just be, he became a two way player this season. Like, no one is scoring on him easily. No one's taking advantage of him on mismatches anymore. No one's actively attacking him because they know he's, he's going to be there. They know he's going to contest it. He's gotten better positioning. He's gotten better at contesting shots. I don't know. This man somehow gets better every single year. And he just won an MVP. Just like, keep that in mind. He's scoring better. He's. He's passing out of triple teams because the man doesn't have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. He's winning games with a man called Bones playing, like, 40 minutes a game. It's it's (laughs) actually incredible.
0: Uh, uh, See, I get where you're coming from here, right? I definitely do. I just don't know if you can say he's better than a player like Steph Curry. I mean, I know the Nuggets have absolutely no one around him at this point. You have Aaron Gordon as your second best player, and Aaron Gordon does cool dunks, but he's one of the least efficient players in the NBA. <laughs> there i but and jokic has slowly gotten better every year he has slowly gotten better on defense which was a major issue last year i i don't know if we touched on it in the podcast or i don't know if i ever said this but he is an underrated defender and he was then and he has gotten better defensively this year and yeah, i mean, he's a playmaker he gets rebounds he scores but i oh the best player in the nba i just don't know i don't what know what stops
1: you from saying that what stops you from counting the best? Ah, uh,
0: I mean, I guess it's a good point, <laughs> but I think
1: it's his play style because uh, I don't know, he, no offense, but he's he's pretty boring to watch.
0: He but is
1: in comparison to your LeBron Jameses, your Giannis,es your Currys, He's pretty boring.
2: Well, what he does isn't very staunchly different from Giannis because that's what that's what people were saying when they're like. The reason people don't think Giannis is better than KD is because Giannis' play style. I mean, the only difference is Giannis is basically just hyper-athletic Jokic. Like, worse passer, but significantly more athletic. Which is the reason I I still think Curry, KD, and Giannis are all three better than Jokic. Because, I mean, Curry is the most – he has the most gravity out of anyone in basketball ever. Like, the, the God, the best shooter God ever created still an insane playmaker. He's like, the turnovers are up this year, I believe. But either way, I mean, that's just how the Warriors play. It's like a read and react. So you're throwing a lot of passes to where you think people should be. And if they're not there, then obviously it's going out of bounds. But Curry and then KD is still second greatest scorer in basketball history while still being a pretty solid defender. And then, like I said, Giannis does everything Jokic does. It's significantly more athletic. I mean, Jokic is obviously an elite player. I think he's the fourth-best basketball player in the world, but I just don't see how you could say he is the best basketball player in the world, especially when he's yet to even make the finals. Like, all three guys ahead of him are all have rings and all have some of the best finals performances ever.
0: I, I think the playoffs are important. I think that he does – the winning the ring aspect is important. But he has been really elite in the playoffs. I think that's a good point. I just – I don't think that he is the best player in the world. I could definitely see the standpoint. And I think his boring play style does kind of play into it. I mean, watching just a hideous shot for him, his very slow moves in the post, slow fadeaways, Everything about him is pretty boring. Um, so I could definitely see that affecting people's views on him. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I could say he's the best in the world. Um, But I, I think that is the Jokic end. I want to move on to the Heat because there are multiple things I want to talk about with the Heat. They're 13-9. Bam Adebayo has a torn UCL in his thumb that he needs surgery on, which is obviously a huge loss for the Heat. Bam Adebayo. It's his thumb. Yeah. I got that weeks.
2: notification. I thought he hurt his leg. Ah. <laughs> it's a miracle on Patrick. Yeah, that's an ACL, not UCL first time, too. Yeah,
0: it's his UCL in his thumb because I know you have one in your form, but it's his thumb. Uh, he's out four to six weeks. This is a huge loss for the Heat. Obviously, they're 13 to nine. But I don't even want to just touch on the BAM on a bio thing. I think there's a bigger issue with the Heat. Uh, there's the stat that I saw, right? Three-point percentage when Bam and Jimmy Butler are playing together. And obviously, Bam's hurt now, so this stat is whatever, but this is going to be important down the road. Duncan Robinson, when these two when he's playing with these two on the court, 29% from three. Kyle Lowry, 29% from three. Tyler Hero, 27%. And then Jimmy Butler, 23%. He's an awful three-point shooter regardless. But everyone besides P.J. Tucker, who shoots 41% when those two are on the court together, What? Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why he's really good from three. Wait, can limited. you say that again?
2: PJ, PJ Tucker is
0: 41% three-point shooter when Jimmy and Bam are on the court. With him. <laughs> it's weird. But what? everyone else is below 30% from three. I think this is a major issue. I think that the spacing is an important fact that never gets brought up in the heat. because I th- People love the heat, but Jimmy Butler is a horrible three-point shooter. Bam Adebayo really? still hasn't developed a three-point shot. Do you think that this could be one of the things that hurts the Heat down the road? I'll start with Devontae this time.
1: Um, to be honest, I think Spo. He'll probably he'll he'll get the rotations right because they have shooters. They have. Um, he'll make it work with. I'm a hundred percent sure he'll make it work with Duncan and Tower Hero. If Duncan wants to be good at shooting again. But I know Tower, he took a huge step. we seen him do it in the playoffs. You could say, yeah, it was the bubble, but I'm still confident they can get the shooting when they need it. Uh, in it was the bubble. Thing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> bubble. But, yeah, uh, I think that's funny that he said that because when you said everyone loves the Heat, I was literally about to say, um, yeah, everyone I feel like some basketball heat. fans think Eric Spostro could, uh, could make a team of nothing but 12-year-olds an NBA Finals team and then Devontae says he's going to get it fixed. But I really don't see what there is to fix. I mean, it's just – with Jimmy and Bam on the court, it affects your spacing so much, and they're just able to hone in on these uh, – what are supposed to be three-point specialists, especially Duncan, who's having a terrible shooting year. Um, but the lineups, I just don't know what there is to fix. Like, what lineups – it's sort of a similar deal with the Lakers. Like, what rotations can you make to where it works? It it seems to be just, I know everyone wants to see Jimmy Butler succeed as a member of the heat, but honestly, if I am the heat, I'm starting to think about letting Jimmy Butler go like, or not letting just walk in free agency, but I'm thinking about trading him because the fit is just getting super weird. You had the miracle run in in the bubble, right? And I'm not even trying to discredit the bubble because I'm not one of those people, but that was nothing short of a basketball miracle. Like how often does the six seed make the finals bubble or not bubble? Like it's just something that rarely happens. And then last year in the playoffs, you, you just got absolutely smoked because you had no spacing. And even with Tyler hero improving this year, the spacing is still bad with your starting rotation. Like it's just Jimmy Butler as much as NBA fans love Jimmy Butler. And I like Jimmy Butler a lot too, but, I just don't think Jimmy Butler is the right superstar for the pieces around the Heat. And the Heat's um, surrounding team is too good to trade away to fit around Jimmy Butler rather than trying to find the right superstar that isn't Jimmy Butler.
0: That is a hot day. I didn't expect that. I, I don't know if they're going to ever trade Jimmy Butler after the run that he made to the finals. No, he's a
2: heat for life after the finals, but...
0: But I do agree, because you have Bam, and he is your franchise player at this point. You have... Kyle I just the fit of Bam and Jimmy Butler alone is weird because you have a wing, you have a small forward and then center who both can't shoot threes. They both have solid mid, I mean, they both have really good mid-range shots, don't get me wrong. But in 2021, (laughs) that's not spacing. Mid-range shooting is not spacing. And then they have shooters who are supposed to space the floor. But Duncan Robinson has severely struggled recently. Tonight's game, right before we recorded this, their game wrapped up. He had the Tony Snell game. He had zero points. Cardio
2: game, baby.
0: Exactly. He had zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero blocks, one steal, 0 for 7 from
2: the field. Oh, he got a steal?
0: He did. 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 6 from 3, 0 for 0 from the free throw line, and two fouls in 20 minutes. He did nothing except for that one steal. Hell of a game. And he has struggled consistently over the past few games. Duncan Robinson has not been the Duncan Robinson that we expected to see this year he's shooting 36 percent from the field as a whole and then from the three-point line he's shooting 32 percent and this is a guy that they're paying a lot of money just to hit shots and he's not doing that so i think it's concerning for the heat that uh, their team mix up it's such a weird fit and this is one of the teams that people expected to be a great fit together and they're one of the worst fits out of the teams that we wanted to be contenders I don't think that the Heat are going to be able to make uh, a deep playoff run like everyone has expected them to do ever since the bubble and that that finals run. But I, I the Bam injury hurts a lot because they're currently thirteen and nine. They're sitting just above the Hornets, just above the Cavs, just above the Hawks, and the Celtics. They're all at twelve and ten, and the East as a whole is kind of a mess. And that's what we're going to transition to. But the if the Heat lose a few games in a row while Bam is out, it's going to severely affect their seeding and the. The East as uh, like at the top, it's not even really top heavy. It, from the top to the bottom, it's really good. Like there's a lot of equal level yeah. teams. So I think it's, is,
2: like there's a good chance
0: East is better than West this year. It's a hot take. It might be the first time in a while, but the, yeah. I, I personally don't have the heat coming out. But I wanted to ask you guys. I'll start with Devontae again. If you had to pick someone. To come out of the East right now, if you had to pick a winner of the East if the playoffs started today, who would you take? Right now, same rosters. Yeah, same rosters. Like
1: same injuries, same rosters.
0: No, not or yes, yes, same injuries. Who would you take to? Is anyone
1: for In the K.O. Buc- is anyone for the Bucks though? Uh,
2: Brook Lopez, but he should be coming back soon, and then Dante Divincenzo, who should also be coming back soon. Uh.
1: I would easily take the Bucks over anyway. Yeah,
2: and, long-time yeah. listeners of the podcast uh, expected this answer from me. Uh, yeah, it's, it's got to be the Bucs. Who else can it be but the Bucs as of right now? Yeah, I would the take the Bucs. Lonzo
0: Ball. <laughs> Lonzo Ball. Uh, I would also take the Bucs, honestly. The Nets, like we talked about, struggling already. We all know what DeMar DeRozan becomes in the playoffs, DeMar Derozan. Uh, there's a lot of nicknames actually for tomorrow in the playoffs. We just spoke about the heat and their poor uh, fits together. The Hawks haven't been great. I think the Bucks are clearly the best team in the East right now. Um, and that's who I would also take to win the Eastern Conference. So uh, that was a lot of NBA talk. Probably one of our longer NBA segments since the playoffs of last year. Uh, it was very fun to have Devontae on for this. Expect this to be a, a regular thing. Uh. If you want to say any last things before we wrap up the NBA segment, Devontae. Uh, thank you for having me, guys. I had a lot of fun.
2: Of course.
0: So now we transition from the NBA to college sports, college football specifically. This week has been insane. We had rivalry week where Michigan took on Ohio State. Oklahoma took on Oklahoma State in Bedlam, and there were a lot of implications to these games following them. But I want to start with the games themselves because I think it's important to talk about them first. We'll start off with the first day of the game, big noon kickoff, Michigan versus Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh in Ann Arbor. He finally gets his first win versus Ohio State.
2: He finally did it.
0: He finally did it, and he had a really good quote after this game about Ryan Day. I I've, I really liked it. So, Ryan Day had talked a lot of uh, smack about Jim Harbaugh, or just about Michigan and Jim Harbaugh as a whole. Uh, it was a lot of like shady comments and interviews, but after the game, someone asked him about it, and he replied and said, some people are born on third base and think they hit a home run when they score, which I thought was really good because Ryan Day took over Urban Meyer's program, obviously started on third base, and uh, he finally gets humbled, <laughs> Ryan Day, in this game. Uh, what are your takeaways from this game? What do you want to talk about?
2: Listen, um, I believe me and Blake said, uh, on our rivalry week, re- <laughs> rivalry week prediction episode, that if Ohio State does lose, it is going to be because of their horrendously bad run defense, which I had honestly thought had gotten better as since the Oregon game. I thought they took that as a learning process. They didn't. Uh, <laughs> what what I saw when I realized I watched the uh, Michigan State game back, and and the, Dan said this too. Um, Ohio State didn't necessarily lock up Kenneth Walker. Oh, Ohio State's all offense ruined their momentum. They didn't give Kenneth Walker the ball. They didn't, like, pound Kenneth Walker the ball to start out with. They ended up in an early hole, and now you just have to throw the ball. Like you can't run the ball anymore. Ohio State didn't necessarily stop Kenneth Walker. And we had, we seen with Hassan Haskins' absolute masterclass. I bet he feels like the man on top of the world now Uh, congratulations to him. That was, to beat your rival, and that is the game you play, uh, all kudos to him. But Hassan Haskins absolutely torched Ohio State. What was it, four, five touchdowns? It just felt like he was going to get a first down on every run, and Ohio State's run defense is god-awful. And it doesn't really make sense because they have a good defensive line. Their linebackers suck. But their linebackers have sucked for a while. I know all three went to the NFL last year or went in the NFL draft. None of them, besides Pete Warner, really get playtime. time. They weren't that good last year. You know, We saw that from especially the Alabama game where Alabama's run game tore some. But, yeah, this if uh, uh, Michigan was going to beat Ohio State, which obviously they did, it was going to be off a master class by Aiden Hutchinson, Shout out to Dan for that quote and um, a masterclass on the ground, and they got both of them. And it's just it's so nice to finally see Michigan win this game. I agree. I think
0: i I wanted I wanted to see Harbaugh finally win, and I was really confident that it would. It was not going to happen, but it finally does. Hassan Haskins, who's supposed to be a red zone back, absolutely gashed Ohio State in this game which, like Kale said, I thought the run defense had gotten better, but it clearly didn't. Ohio State's offense, I, I, it was weird. It, it C.J. Stroud still had a good like statistical game at the end of this game, but he missed some throws. Chris Olave dropped. He made that crazy catch down the right sideline late in the game, but he dropped a touchdown earlier in this game that they had to end up settling for a field goal for. His wide receivers were not helping him. Jackson Smith and Jigba dropped a few. Everything, yeah. Yeah, he dropped, he dropped quite a bit. Uh, the, the there was the one play where where the announcer who's calling this game? Do you remember?
2: Brad, it should be no, not Brad. This, but it should be Kirk Herbstreit and Joe. Mm, Forget the last name. That's it's, who always does the big noon kickoff. Yeah,
0: plays. it does. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> there was the play where CJ <laughs> Stroud rolled out, and the, he said the announcer said, "And no one's open." And Jackson Smith and Jigwa was 15 yards oh, open it in was, any direction. It was, it was. was a uh, yeah. It was a uh, oh. What is his name? Uh. Gus, it's Gus. Um, uh, I can't think of it, but it was wide open, and he goes, Johnson, Gus, Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson said he and he, There's no one open, and CJ Stroud throws, and Jackson Smith Jigwell is wide open, wide he open, and then and he, he said, swore makes he caught it. <laughs> and they dropped it, and he dropped it, it was so but bad. Jack, Jackson Smith and Jigwell like had butter hands during this game. Uh, his receivers didn't help him. CJ Stroud still had a good game, but uh, he's definitely not the Heisman anymore. Uh. It's definitely an upsetting finish for Ohio State because people had them locked in as the second-best team in the country after they just absolutely dominated down the stretch. Not everyone, but they they looked really good down the stretch. They dominated Michigan State, and then people were starting to say, oh, can they give Georgia a run for their money, best offense versus best defense, what could happen? And they come up short ultimately, and it's a disappointing year for them in, in, in the end. Um, but good for Jim Harbaugh. We're happy for him here. <laughs> Moving on to the next game, we had Alabama versus Auburn, the Iron Bowl. We had TJ Finley versus <laughs> Bryce Young. And TJ Finley coming into the game already wasn't a good quarterback, and he gets hurt mid-game. He barely walks. I don't know how Auburn kept him in this game. I, he clearly was not Okay. He looked solid in the first half, and then every throw he made after his ankle injury was almost intercepted or overthrown grossly, except for the overtime throw. But Alabama struggles yet again. They struggled with LSU a few weeks ago, and this all they're struggling with lackluster teams, and Auburn is not a team that Alabama can afford to struggle to and still yeah. think that they can win in the playoffs. So... Even though it's rivalry, whatever, you have to count it against them. You can't just not count it. So what are your thoughts on Alabama looking beatable these past few weeks? Do you think course, it's just a fluke, or what do you think?
2: Well, first of all, uh, what you said about T.J. Finley, like, why did they even play him? Well, I, T.J. Finley sucks. Don't get me wrong. I'm sorry, T.J., if you're listening. Um, I know <laughs> you're a huge fan, but you're not that good. But i take a hobbled – uh, TJ Finley over Demetrius Davis or <laughs> what's his name? Kalen Newton, Cam Newton's <laughs> little brother, who literally plays tight end when he's not the emergency quarterback. But a uh, Hobble TJ Finley is better than that, sadly, with Bo Nix obviously out. But um, yeah, Alabama looks super beatable. Um, and this is clearly the worst Nick Saban t- Nick Saban team since Alabama was not good. Um, I thought la- the Mac Jones first year. Uh, obviously not 2020, 2019, was their worst team. And I think that team is better than this one right now. With that being said, for the first time, uh, for only the fourth time in the past 10 years, I believe, Alabama is walking into a game as the underdog. Um, and do you know Alabama's record in those three games, Andrew?
0: Well, I know that they were the
2: underdog the year that they were the four seed. So I'm going to say that they won that one. Are they undefeated in those games? They are undefeated. They beat two thousand nine Florida. They beat the year they were the underdog. So they were beat Georgia, and then they beat Georgia again in the SEC championship that year. That uh, who was it? Aaron Murray. Yeah, they beat Aaron Murray's Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC championship. Alabama's undefeated in games where they walk in as uh, the underdog. So. Listen, I keep saying it and I know it shouldn't make sense. I know Georgia is the better team. Georgia should beat Alabama by fourteen. But I'm not going to pick Kirby Smart to pick Nick Saban until he actually does it. I just it's Nick Saban. Picking against Nick Saban is worse than picking against LeBron and picking against Tom Brady. Like that is like a sports cardinal sin is to write off Nick Saban. I
0: personally uh, I'm so Auburn gave – Auburn's defensive line and their pass rush gave Alabama an absolute fit in this game. Alabama's offensive line is clearly not good. Even Evan Neal struggled a few times during this game. He was by far their best offensive lineman, but he did struggle a bit. I just don't see a way where Alabama comes out on top of this game. And I'm Listen, done. you're
2: doing it, Andrew. You're I'm doing gonna it. I'm going
0: to do it. I'm going to do it. You can hold this against me. You can post this clip on our Instagram, whatever you want, if Alabama wins. But I'm going to say this with confidence. Georgia will beat Alabama in this game by 10-plus points. By just, 10 double digits. The ten, I'm you're saying not double only digits.
2: against Alabama. You're going double digits. I'm going
0: to go double digits. Listen,
2: and every logical thing you are about to say about Georgia Bulldogs football, Alabama football, it will all make sense. I guarantee <laughs> you. But football is not a sport that makes sense. Let's go ahead and get out. College football. There's some voodoo around this, right? <laughs> It's so weird with college football. Alabama should have dog-walked Auburn, right? But they played in Jordan-Hare Stadium. There's just something. They had <laughs> buried at 50 yards in a Jordan-Hare Stadium or something. There's a <laughs> the witch's curse. It, it it's, it's voodoo, man. It's, it's just trims and, and streaks and curses. and I, Georgia is not going to be out there. They should. Trust me. I think Georgia is a better football team. I don't even think it's close. But there's, there's just something about Georgia versus Alabama. Alabama. Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban. I think Georgia is going to get a 10, 15, 17, 20-point lead in this game. And you know what? They're going to blow it because that's just what Georgia does. It's a curse. I don't see Kirby Smart beating Nick Saban until I see him with my own two eyes. The clock hits 0 and he has scored more points than Nick Saban's Alabama team. I think, I, th- I
0: mean, I think it's fair. I totally get it. Uh, I don't, I'm putting a lot of stake. I'm putting a lot of faith. There we go. Kirby smart here, but I just, there is so much more. I don't want to say talent, but they're just such a better team than Alabama this year. I'm going to stick with my guts. Good thing that Alabama does get out of this Auburn game. I want to touch on a little bit. I don't want to completely harp on, oh, they suck, whatever. Uh, Bryce Young has his Heisman moment. He played really – I know Alabama fans want to say he really didn't play bad in this game because the offensive line, yes, true. But he was grossly underwhelming. He was missing a lot of throws early in this game. And then he has a 97-yard touchdown drop. To force the game into overtime, that's his Heisman moment. Unfortunately, he probably shouldn't win it. Actually, I'm going to say he shouldn't. Win it. it should be one of the defensive players, either Aiden Hutchinson or Steven. who had an insane game. By the way, I watching this game, he was everywhere. I don't know if the stat line really shows it, but just watching the game, he felt like he was everywhere. Will Anderson, but their team in next year Alabama is going to be insane. Oh, it's <laughs> it's just, so good. Dude. It's going to be ridiculous. Uh, just you, the the talent at every single spot. Ja'Kory Brooks at the end of this game is the one who catches that touchdown, and he's going to be there next year. Obviously, the, the body control on that catch. Oh, Al- just uh, over. Will Anderson is going to be back. Alabama is going to be ridiculous. I just don't think this is this their year. I think we're going to lose by double digits to Georgia, and I think they're going to miss the college football playoff. Um, that is my
2: take. It's not happening. It's, Nick Saban will not let that happen. And I think that's fair, and we'll see on
0: Saturday. <laughs> we'll move to the next game, Bedlam. Another game. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to lie. I didn't get to watch this. I was out, but obviously, I watched the first. I watched the first quarter of it, and I can see box scores. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Oklahoma State takes down Oklahoma, I believe, for the first time since 2014. Yeah. In in Bedlam. <laughs> Oklahoma. I mean, it's really—it's not the type of game I expected. I expected it to be a lot low, lower scoring, really, because of Oklahoma it's bedlam, State's defense. Dude. I know, but it's Oklahoma State again. College football doesn't really make sense. But I thought Oklahoma State's defense would be better. It wasn't. But uh, what? Well, you no, say?
2: you said that, But Oklahoma State's defense held Oklahoma almost scoreless in the second. It's half. true.
0: Spencer Sanders did have a few turnovers, which helped the Oklahoma offense. Uh, but it, it's, anything from this game, from the actual game, not the aftermath of it, we'll touch on the actual game first.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, like I said, Oklahoma's defense struggled in the first half. Man, that was off of turnovers, botch punts. Just, it, it's Bedlam, man. Bedlam is insane. And then they clutched up. Um, they didn't allow Oklahoma to score in the second half, and Oklahoma's offense took advantage of this it was just an amazing game all around people are complaining we thought just everyone knew caleb williams in oklahoma or is about to pull out that oklahoma magic and win on the last drive and they came damn close uh a lot of oklahoma fans are crying like genuinely i have not seen this in forever about what should have been a pass interference on the last play or the last play that really mattered um I, I really didn't see it. It was, a, it was a physical rivalry game. It was a huge play. If, if you're not going to swallow your whistle there, then you're going to call passing interference pass on everything, which is obviously not good for the sport. But Bedlam lived up to what Bedlam should be. There was a lot of turnovers, a lot of points scored, and, and then long stretches of no points being scored, like I said. Spencer Sanders finally did it. I, did, I honestly did not think he was going to beat Oklahoma ever because he's just not that good of a quarterback. But I'll give him credit. He had a decent second half, and he obviously won the game. And there's this one picture, honestly, if this gets put on TikTok, I'll make Andrew make the picture, the, um, the thumbnail. But there's a picture of him surrounded by Oklahoma State fans, and there's just this big on the jumbotron. It's Oklahoma State's logo, and it says, um, this is our state now. It's just such a badass picture. <laughs> like It was the coolest thing I've seen this year, honestly, uh, picture-wise. But, yeah, Oklahoma State finally did it, and now we're going to get Oklahoma State in the playoffs, barring you know a loss to Baylor,
0: which is insane. It, it's very nice. I, there was a point at the beginning of the year where everyone thought that it was going to be the same playoff, and then there was a point where everyone thought it was going to be a bunch of different teams and then back to the same playoff, and now we're going to get different teams in it. Cincinnati is going to make it, a, barring a crazy loss to Houston, which won't happen. Um, Oklahoma State has a very good chance of making it. or making it. They just have to beat Dave Aranda, coached Baylor, and I believe Michigan's. Bohannon's out, but for Baylor, I'm talking about. I think uh. he is. I know he's hurt, but he's going to be banged up either way. And Michigan, obviously, is a lock at this point. I don't think they're going to lose to Iowa. Uh, it's very, very fun college football year so far. But now, touching on the Oklahoma end, I, you got to talk about it. <laughs> Lincoln Riley, after this game, has a press conference, says, I am not taking the LSU job.
2: And he didn't lie. He did not lie. He but he's comes also out,
0: not taking the Oklahoma job. Yeah. He leaves for the University of Southern California, USC. And before we get into the Lincoln-Riley tales, I want to give credit to – I'm sure he's listening to this. So he needs the credit. But the USC athletic director did a really good job of keeping this under wraps. It didn't come out, like, at all. This coaching search was very secretive. I believe two hours before the announcement got made, it came out, oh, LSU and USC are getting in a bidding war for Lincoln-Riley. But uh, good props to him. Lincoln Riley is now the coach of the University of Southern California, a very storied program, one that's supposed to be good, but Clay Helton, a bunch of head coaches have come there, and USC has not been good for a while. Despite the well,
2: listen, Yeah, you have to be a wretched, awful, <laughs> terrible, horrible head football coach to not be good with USC.
0: Exactly. So, like Lincoln it takes Riley, a
2: special kind of bad to be bad with USC.
0: I think I could win a solid six games as USC's head coach, but that might just be me.
2: Um, <laughs> Lincoln Riley going
0: to USC changes the scope of college football as a whole. The Pac 12 should have another powerhouse finally. They might, Pac 12 cannibalism cycle should finally end. But this is detrimental to Oklahoma and their team, not just this year, but for next year. And they're not gonna on. have a
2: football team at this rate right next year. Uh,
0: yeah, Marvin Mims is, wants to transfer. That came out. There's a good chance he transfers Spencer Rattler. Probably going to transfer anyway, but he transfers. They have the 2023 number one class. It was supposed to be a monster class for Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley recruited California really well, which in retrospect is really funny. But he recruited (laughs) California so well. He got all the Southern California recruits. It was supposed to be one of really the best recruiting classes ever. And already Malachi Nelson, the number two recruit in his class, only behind Arch Manning, has decommitted from Oklahoma, and he has committed to USC already. It's already flipped. Malachi Lemon, his teammate, fun name, is also expected to decommit and commit to USC. In five-star wide receiver, number one wide receiver in this class, same way. Every single person committed in that 2020 OU class is projected to decommit. The running back for 2022, uh, I can't remember his name right now, five-star running back, he's the number one running back in this class, has also uh, decommitted from OU today. Caleb Williams, when he was being recruited, said that he would walk on to OU just to play under Lincoln Riley. So Oklahoma is a mess, and we know that. They're oh, yeah, going Caleb to lose Williams everyone. They're going to lose everyone. But moving on to the USC and how does this hiring affect USC and just college football as a whole?
2: Oh, this, this affects it massively. Um, USC is going to be a perennial playoff team now in just two seasons. Lincoln Riley is going to have this team loaded and playing at a high level in the blink of an eye. Um, obviously, one of the best coaches in college football. He's never gotten it done at the end of the year in the playoffs. So I understand that. But also, Oklahoma doesn't necessarily have the same resources as USC. They're they're arguably just as stored of a program. I understand that. He's going to have the second-best hotbed only behind the Florida teams in college football his teams are going to be insanely talented. They're already massively talented with terrible head coaches and terrible years. Imagine with Lincoln Riley. I mean, Mario Cristobal and the Oregon Ducks are should be pissed that they wasted all these years of being the most talented team in the Pac twelve and everyone else in the Pac twelve sucking. I mean, these Oregon rosters of the past couple have been loaded. Justin Herbert, Kayvon Thibodeau, Panay Sewell. I mean, it just goes on and on. Javon Holland uh, Devin Hill Michael Pittman it's just these Oregon teams have been loaded with talent haven't been able to get out of the Pac-12 with all the Pac-12 cannibalism you know they lost to Utah a couple times lost to Arizona State just a whole mess right and now USC is going to quickly and I mean this quickly become more talented than Oregon not next year but I genuinely think the year after that the, the USC is now the Pac-12 is going to have a legitimate playoff contender uh, consistently USC is going to be one of the best teams in the country again and Oklahoma especially now that they're going to the SEC they might want to re they might want to uh halt that process because Oklahoma is going to become one of the worst teams in the SEC I don't really think this should be a hot take either I mean Brent Venables if that's the coach they get obviously best defensive coordinator in college football we have seen insane SEC defenses suck South Carolina the um Oh, why can't I not remember his name? Um, whatever, it doesn't matter. These past couple of years, South Carolina teams, elite defenses sucked. Sucked in the SEC. If they get Brent Venables as their head coach, they're going to have the best defense in the country, arguably. Well, probably not behind Georgia, but Oklahoma is going to be a bad SEC team. I think Texas is going to be a bad SEC team, and it might take a decade for those teams to get back to where they were as Big 12 teams
0: i agree i don't know who uh oklahoma is going to hire uh, i i really don't know because if you, brent venables has slowly cooled off i know he was the favorite for a while people were convinced oh he's
2: already in norman he's moving moving whatever uh no it was so funny it was an oklahoma insider with you know quotation marks he said my buddy is a uh it <laughs> oh, yeah. was a Clemson insider, and he said, My buddy is a real estate agent down in Norman, has not got a
0: phone call from Brent Venable. <laughs> <laughs> he is the only real estate agent. He owns every Norman. house in Norman, <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> so, I don't, the, if they don't get Brent Venables, because that's slowly I'd slowly be believing that they're not going to, they're not, not going to get down Lane home, Kiffin. Man. Mark Stoops just got extended. Matt Campbell, I don't think he would leave Iowa State for Oklahoma. I, it's just a feeling. Luke Fickle, will not. I, I don't see him doing that. The only job yeah. I would see him we'll, – we'll talk about that later, actually. Bob Stoops, I don't think he wants to coach anymore, even though he's their interim he right now. Uh, Josh Heupel, I doubt. I think he still has some of Actually, I believe
2: the the, what it says is Shane, Shane Beamer. Uh, is if they don't get Brent Venables, which is looking like they're not Shane Beamer's next in line for, and that's who I was, that was the very next one I was about to get to. I think that's
0: probably who they get, and oh. that is not going to help them. Imagine like it just if they go from Lincoln Riley to Shane Beamer, it is a rude awakening for that program. I just I don't I don't know how Oklahoma is going to be able to recover for this. But the USC being good is going to be great for college football. The USC-Notre Dame rivalry is rebirthed again, which, you know, huge rivalry in college. It's just – or that, you know, it's rivalry quotes. But um,
2: – Well, it's a real legitimate rivalry. It, it is. Really it's just cool. not during
0: rivalry week. That's why I didn't mean oh, that. Oh, yes. um, But now on the Notre Dame ends. <laughs> smooth transition, Ryan Kelly has – left Notre Dame in the most uh, awful way, awful way to the kids. But he has. I
2: really don't think so, honestly.
0: <laughs> we won't get into the politics of it. Uh, but he goes to LSU. And <laughs> I feel bad for LSU fans. Ryan Kelly is a great coach, don't get me wrong. Maybe not great, but he's a good coach. Uh, but they went from all these flashy young coaches, all these flashy up-and-coming coaches, Lincoln Riley, Lane Kiffin, Dave Aranda, Billy Napier, Billy Napier they're everywhere. Oh, they're going to get someone great, and they settle for Ryan Kelly, 60-year-old Ryan Kelly, who has never won a national championship in the Division One level. He's won a lot in D3, I believe, D2 maybe. Um, But they get Ryan Kelly, and I'll share my thoughts on this first. Um, I think LSU is going to be like a 9-10 win team in the SEC. Oh, yeah, SEC. that's just LSU. Yeah, it's just LSU but I don't think Ryan Kelly is going to push them over the edge to beat teams like Alabama, beat teams like Georgia. I just don't see it. Ryan Kelly is notoriously a bad recruiter, and granted, he has the academic restriction on him. It, yeah,
2: I, I tweeted. I don't know if anybody saw it, but I said, uh, Brian Kelly's not the best recruiter, but at least he doesn't have to tell kids that they can't have sex if they come to the school
0: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs>
2: I, I didn't even think about that. Um, well there was a story that he had a four star wide receiver who he flipped to Georgia the day after his Notre Dame visit and the kid himself said it was because Brian Kelly told me if I come here I can't have sex and he committed to Georgia the very next day
0: I have never heard that story really oh I've
2: never heard that but that that is good but
0: but Brian Kelly is naturally going to recruit better uh, at when he's at LSU just because the academic restriction and you know the whole Catholic thing whatever but I just don't like I it's it's a good move but it's not nearly the best that they could have had and it's definitely underwhelming from what LSU fans thought they were going to get and with Brian Kelly you can't build a dynasty. He wanted to bring Marcus Freeman with him to take over after. He's not getting him anymore. Um but so I don't get it. You're not this is a 10-year like max. He's going to stay for 10 years, Brian Kelly. Or Brian Kelly is old. Um, what are your thoughts on the move?
2: Yeah, LSU fans are starting to convince themselves this was the best hire. Um, we've seen – you know, we've got group chats with, uh, with our friends. A couple of them are LSU fans, and they're doing it um, right in front of our face. But I don't love the hire. He's not the best recruiter. I don't think he'll be able to recruit. Listen, recruiting Notre Dame up on the East Coast is easy because those are East Coast – Northeast Coast kids – you know, the the uh, New England area, who grew up needing to go to Notre Dame. Like, the, if you are in the Northeast, uh, you want to go to Michigan, you want to go to Ohio State, you want to go to Notre Dame. That's basically maybe Penn State. You get down to Louisiana, you get down to Florida, you get down to Georgia, these are kids who can go anywhere, will go anywhere, and you're having to out – listen – You're going to have to out-recruit Kirby Smart in his backyard. You're going to have to out-recruit Nick Saban in his backyard. And Nick Saban's backyard is Louisiana. I mean, historically, (laughs) if there's a five-star in Louisiana, he's not going to LSU. He's going to Alabama. That's just how it works. Billy Napier, we've yet to see him recruit um, as the head coach of a Power 5 team, but he was an insane recruiter at Alabama. Um, Mike Norvell is starting to pick up recruiting with Florida State. I mean, it's going to be – while – Technically, it should be easier to be uh, to recruit at LSU. It's also retrospectively going to be harder to recruit at LSU. And, um, you know, onto his nickname, big name, big game Brian. Uh, he he sucks in big games. I mean, <laughs> and at Notre Dame, you don't have at least Notre Dame recently. You don't have too many big games. You don't play a conference championship. Your rivalry games have all been down. And once you get to playoffs, once he played Georgia in the regular season, he, he lost all of those games. A couple of them, uh, especially the playoff games, by a lot, a lot of points. Now at LSU, you have big games all the time. You have a game versus Alabama. You have a game versus Florida, who should be getting good again. Um, you have games every once in a while versus Georgia. You have games versus Texas A&M. And then, obviously, if you do make the SEC championship, you have to play in the SEC championship. I just think, especially, they're throwing so much money at them. I mean, dude, they might have to cut their basketball program at this point with how much (laughs) money they're paying Brian Kelly. Jesus, it's just, I don't, it it was a panic hire because obviously Lincoln Riley went to USC, Billy Napier went to Florida. Dave Aranda should be staying at Baylor if the, uh, the projections keep going the way they are. Luke Fickle is not coming. Uh, he's not leaving Cincinnati. It felt like the AD just threw a bunch of money at any big name he could find and prayed it stuck.
0: I agree. I um, I go or one of my brothers went to Notre Dame, so naturally Notre Dame fan. Uh, my family and we're from the Northeast, whatever. Um, but he, we were talking about it, and it's a lot easier to win games when you get to pick your schedule. Um, your only tie-in is you have to play. What is five ACC games, right? Yeah, uh, they have to play those. They play USC, Stanford. But it's a when you're an independent, it's a lot easier to win games, and it would get talked about Notre Dame every single year, and it will continue. Uh, Brian Kelly, it was not the right hire for LSU, and it, like I already said this, but I just don't think that he's going to push them over the edge. We have um one more hire that's already had. Uh, actually, two more now that have already happened. I'll let you just take this one away. Uh, Billy Napier to Florida. He leaves the Rachel Caves, right? <laughs> that's where he Yes, that's correct. Right. To uh, coach the Florida Gators. You can give your whole spiel on this. I don't have much to say. so.
2: Oh, man, come on. You're a huge Florida Gators fan. <laughs> but, um, yeah, obviously this is my Gators. I tend to be a little bit biased. It's human nature. But I love the hire. Uh, most people should love the hire. Uh, most people I've talked to do love the hire. Billy Napier was an insane recruiter at Alabama. Obviously, that half the credit at least has to go to Nick Saban. I understand that. It's insanely easy to recruit at Alabama. He recruited at an elite level for Louisiana. Never in both of his years as the head coach of Louisiana. Both years, he had the top class in the Sun Belt. Um, that That says a little bit something to me. He had Louisiana as a consistently ranked team. Uh, I told you 10 years ago, Louisiana, the University of Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cages, are going to be a consistent and perennial top 25 team. What You'd you not believe it. You'd be like, on, on NCAA 14? Yeah, sure. But no, Billy Napier brought them to being that good. He sent two running backs to the NFL. Obviously, Elijah Mitchell is now basically a, a starter, which is for the 49ers, big rotation back team, whatever. He's developing talent at ULL. He's getting talent at ULL, and he's winning games at ULL. Now he goes to the big stage of that. You know, you go from Florida. You had Dan Mullen. I love the firing of Dan Mullen for this reason. Listen, if we took the brains, just simply the brains of every head coach in America, Dan Mullen is far and away one of the best. I mean – the dude, his ability to run an offense, change his offensive scheming around personnel, all of that. Elite, but he couldn't recruit. And we saw that early. We Dan Mullen couldn't recruit. He couldn't refill a team. Listen, Kyle Pitts, uh, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius, Tony, Trayvon Grimes, these weren't Dan Mullen recruits. These were Jim McElwain recruits, which are the uh, other coach for fire. Um Within the last decade, Dan Mullen couldn't recruit in his first year. That is mostly Dan Mullen um, players. We were bad. So we fired him. And listen, that takes balls to fire a coach on the X's and O's as good as Dan Mullen because he can't do what Nick Saban does and he can't do what Kirby Smart does. Listen, I love that. You go out and get a guy who is super smart on the X's and O's and hopefully can recruit at a very high level. I think it's a perfect hire. Um, he, he's wanting a lot of money for recruiting, and he's wanting a big budget for his coordinators. I love that. That is something Dan Mullen did not do. Dan Mullen is a football guy, not a head coach. He He could draw up plays with the best of them in the world, but he cannot recruit for a college team when it should be insanely easy to recruit at Florida. They were nearly a playoff team, and Miami and FSU were bad, dog shit, in the dumpsters. You should be running through Florida. If you were Dan Mullen and he couldn't do it,
0: uh, <laughs> higher again. I just don't have that much to say about it. <laughs> he won't. He can't be any worse than Dan Mullen, like you said. Dan Mullen's really good at offensive players and making players look good, but or offensive. But he's just not a head coach. And I think Billy Napier was the right hire for Florida. The last thing we will talk about today, a long episode, is notre dame's uh vacancy we're gonna talk about who we thought would take it and i'm sure we would have said the person that actually did get promoted to the job marcus freeman is expected to be announced as the notre dame head coach i don't know if he's been officially announced yet but he's gonna be the next head coach of the notre dame fighting irish he's only 35 years old which is quite young for a head coach um especially at a blue blood yeah exactly uh, it's his first year at Notre Dame, actually, and people had seen him becoming the head coach at Notre Dame. But they basically had said it; <laughs> no one expected Brian Kelly to leave this early. So he's now the head coach. Uh, I personally really like it. Yeah, I love it, dude. I love it. I, I think Marcus Freeman. Uh, the the things he did at Cincinnati when he was there as a the defense coordinator under Luke Fickle, uh, extremely impressive. Cincinnati consistently had one of the better defenses in the in college football, and they. Developed great talent. They've had draft picks go to the NFL. Um, our Sauce Gardner obviously is arguably the best cornerback in the in the country. He developed him. Um, and I love the move for Notre Dame. Notre Dame. I someone. I'm gonna put this in quotes because this is from an Instagram story. Someone was talking about Notre Dame's stacked recruiting class for next year is just 16 four-star recruits and (laughs) it's top five but it's 16 four-star recruits whatever um people think that it's gonna follow the same suit as lincoln riley but i don't think brian kelly has the same effect on recruits as lincoln riley a lot of people think marcus freeman these players came to play under him which i think is probably true him retains a lot of these recruits and I, i I know people wanted them to hire Luke Fickle, but it was unrealistic. And Marcus Freeman, if he works out for Notre Dame, he could build a dynasty here. I mean, he's 35, like we're talking about. He can be there forever. 30 years. Yeah. The offensive coordinator... uh, Tommy uh, Reese. Yeah, Tommy Reese. wanted uh, Brian Kelly wanted him to come with him to LSU, and Marcus Freeman has gotten him to stay. He tweeted out the Wolf of Wall Street gif of Leonardo DiCaprio saying, I'm not fucking leaving. And then he also addressed the team in a really good video. If you guys haven't watched it, you should watch it on Twitter. It's really good. So he is 29 years old as the offense coordinator, by the way. So they have to have probably the youngest coaching staff ever, Um, 35 and 29, at least for a blue blood. That's crazy. Uh, What are your thoughts on the Marcus Freeman hire?
2: Uh, Marcus Freeman is a perfect hire. He's a super young dude. He is a great football mind, and recruits love him. Look, Kyle Hamilton wanted – Um, Marcus Freeman as a head coach. And listen, I'm going to trust Kyle Hamilton's opinion on a football coach more than I am random people on Twitter and Instagram. I'm sorry. I think he knows just a little bit more about football than you. I'm going to go out on a limb there. Marcus Freeman, like you said, young. You can keep him for 30 years. He can make Notre Dame what Notre Dame should be. And I'm just salivating at the fact in five, ten years at a USC-Notre Dame rivalry if both Uh of these teams – be what they should be listen marcus freeman is a good recruiter he's an insane developer he should be able to recruit ohio well because obviously he's an ohio kid he's from cincinnati uh he could relate with a lot of these kids uh most of the defensive recruits, well i'm pretty sure every defensive recruit was there for marcus freeman not brian kelly and i'm sure he'll be able to you know spin that yarn back on the offensive kids Tommy Reeves, honestly, whatever. I I wouldn't care if he walked. Notre Dame could throw a bag at a better offensive coordinator, maybe even like a Dan Mullen, like I said. um, I don't love him, honestly. It it seems like they're not getting the best out of their offensive talent that they have. But, you know, it's better than having a vacant job there. I'll say that. And he is super young, so these coaches can develop just like players can. And these coaches have a lot of developing to do. And yet, Notre Dame, it's just what else were you going to do besides hire or, excuse me, promote Marcus Freeman. It was just the perfect thing to do.
0: I, I agree. Uh, the thing that I find really interesting about this, just a fun little thing, uh, Notre Dame has a serious shot at the playoffs. They need help, obviously. They need Baylor to win the Big 12, and they need Alabama to lose to Georgia, and that's really their only shot at the playoff. But if they make the playoff, Marcus Freeman's first ever game – because the regular season's done. Yeah, I mean, like, versus Georgia. It's yeah. going to be his first ever job – or first ever game as a head coach is going to be a college football playoff game versus arguably the greatest defense of all time. Uh, he'd have his work cut out for him. It'd be really fun.
2: But I don't know but Slow down a little bit.
0: No, it wouldn't be really fun. He would get blown out. But no, I'm
2: saying, was, No, I'm talking about, about Georgia being the arguably greatest defense ever. But he, he,
0: both of those things are, are – the thing – it's weird. Uh, They're on pace to be – I think they've let up 17 points is the most they've let up all year. They haven't let up more than 14. More than that, We're not talking about Georgia right now. Notre Dame front. Uh, Marcus Freeman was the right hire. It would be awesome for his first ever game to be versus Georgia. It would be a very good experience. The uh, <laughs> best opening day for any coach. Uh, But I just love the hire. I think it was the perfect choice. Luke Fickle wasn't realistic, so – Uh, Marcus Freeman is the Notre Dame head coach, and he should be for a very long time.
2: I don't know how many times Luke Fickle needs to say he's committed to building a dynasty (laughs) at Cincinnati before people start picking Luke Fickle to be the head coach of any Power 5 team ever.
0: Especially now that they are going to a Power 5 conference. Uh, Yeah,
2: they're they're literally going to be in the Big 12 (laughs) in the near future, and he's already got them as a playoff team as a group of five. He's not leaving, y'all. He's not. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, so that is our coaching carousel roundup for now. There's still a lot that needs to happen uh, this off season, but it's a good start. Uh, this was a fun episode, a very long one. Uh, it's 11.40, but I had a lot of fun. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, we'll see you next week. See you guys next week.